it's absolutely fentanyl. Um, you know, we're seeing it in, in Xanax and ketamine, and you know, it's it is killing thousands of people. Welcome to the Greener Grass Podcast from Bluebird Botanicals. I'm your host, Lex Pelger. What's really in your drugs? Is your MDMA full of bath salts? Is there fentanyl in your friend's cocaine? If you wanted to find out, you could send it into a lab and wait six weeks. Or you could pick up a reagent test kit like the one sold by the bunk police. Adam Ochter talks to me today about the dangers of party drugs laced with cheaper and dirtier alternatives. He's traveled the country and worked in Europe to get out the word on the adulteration of psychoactives. Today we get to learn from his unique perspective. This show is brought to you by Bluebird Botanicals to spread education about cannabis and other things on the greener side of life. Bluebird CBD oil comes from farms in southern Colorado and is grown using only water, soil, and sunlight. Go to bluebirdbotanicals.com for more info. Hello, everybody. I'm very pleased to be here today with Adam Ochter of Bunk Police. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Um, before we get into Bunk Police, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got interested in these subjects? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, I've been interested in, uh, in substance use since, uh, since I was, you know, pretty young. I just, you know, I kind of grew up with earwood and... I was a very sheltered, you know, it's like homeschooled Eagle Scout type kid. So I, you know, I wasn't doing these substances, but I just found the whole thing very interesting and you know, went through my college experience. And then towards the end of my degree, I, uh, I kind of discovered, I just happened upon the fact that people were adulterating um, different substances and especially MDMA with cathinones, as many people might know as bath salts. And, uh, you know, I was one of the first people to, to find that. And I just kind of uh, delved in a lot deeper after that. How did this project come about? Well, um, I was uh, finishing up my degree in uh, marketing, and I was going to a music festival with some friends, and I had uh, noticed that some of the people around me were taking substances uh, whose effect did not match up with um, what they were supposed to be. Uh, So I, I started looking into testing supplies, and I stumbled upon the police test kits that can be found. Uh, in the back of a police cruiser, um, you know, they, they identify substances that they find when they pull somebody over, that sort of thing. And I tried to order some of them from a forensic um, chemical supplier, and uh, it was for police use only, and they actually weren't supposed to ship it to me, but they did anyways. And I, uh, I went to a music festival with these things and just started testing everything that I could find and uncovered the synthetic cathinone problem. Um, this was in 2011. Uh, and can you talk a little bit about what synthetic cathinones are and why that was a problem for them to be popping up so much? Sure, yeah. So that's uh, colloquial known as, as bath salts um, or you know, plant food they were being marketed as at the, at the time. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're just you know, a completely different substance from MDMA, which is what they were being used to adulterate. Um, and they, you know, they come with their own set of risks, uh, you know, including like psychotic episodes uh, and that sort of thing. And you know, it was all very new at the time, and there, you know, there were a lot of uh, you know media stories about the bath salt epidemic, and uh, so we just kind of took it upon ourselves to try and figure out what was happening. And and how was it received as you started to realize how big this problem was? As you started to tell people and and realize the extent of it. Uh, it was very well received. 
very well received. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, at these events that I was going to, I ended up going to about 20 of them over the course of the first summer, just, uh, you know, doing testing for free. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd have lines of, you know, as many as 20, 30, even 40 people um, just waiting to test their substance uh, because, you know, they were, they were concerned, but, you know, not only that for their own safety, but also that pretty much everybody was getting ripped off. Um, so, yeah, it was received very well. And what about the organizers? Because today it's still a huge sticking point um, on site drug testing. Um, how d- did you have any interactions with anyone doing the organizing? Uh, that first year, I didn't have any interactions with organizers. They, you know, were pretty much oblivious to what we were doing. Um, it was only after the media started covering us pretty heavily in 20, 2012 and 2013, and especially after we released our documentary, What's in My Baggie, that they really started taking notice of us and, uh, you know, more, so, more or less chasing us around and throwing us out of events. And can you tell more about the making of What's in My Baggie? Um, and for everyone, who has, it's an excellent piece of work out there about, um, about drug testing in this project. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it was a group of people that approached me. Um, they had heard about the adulteration issue and they had the ability to, you know, take some time off of their jobs. One of them was a uh, film producer and, uh, you know, they just kind of more or less followed uh, me around all summer as, you know, we went into people's campsites and tested their substances and, you know, showed them uh, what the contents were. And, you know, it was pretty interesting because a lot of these people uh, you know, were on the substances while we were testing them. So they'd be finding out that they were taking something completely different after they test, they'd taken it. How do you handle that kind of situation? Oh, I mean, you know, people would be, you know, shocked. Um, and, and we, we would just kind of, you know, work them through the problem and be like, well, this is what you can do to prevent it in the future. And, you know, this is, uh, this is the group of chemicals that we're seeing and, and here's how you can help and that sort of thing. And so when you're talking about this, people don't know about it at all. How do you talk about this on-site drug testing and the problems that you're helping to alleviate? Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's harm reduction. Um, we're, we're just trying to uh, re- reduce the risk of an inherently uh, you know, dangerous uh, act, which is taking illegal substances. And, and you know, we believe that people will, be, will do it no matter what. So you know, they might as well. Um, be as safe about it as possible. What are the the most worrisome adulterants that you see out there? Well, right now it's it's absolutely fentanyl. Um, you know, we're seeing it in in substances across the board. Uh, you know, we 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 were, uh, we were really concerned about it showing up in cocaine samples this year um, at at events, and we did see that uh, at quite a few different events throughout the U.S. Um, you know, of course, it's a really big problem in, in heroin. Uh, that's been going on for a year or two now. We're also finding it in, in Xanax and ketamine. And, you know, it's, it is killing thousands of people. So we're, we're very concerned about that. And fentanyl is being the really strong opioid. Um, why do you think that this is the one being used? Is it because it's cheaper to manufacture and to slip in to the stream? Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you definitely hit it. It is, it's incredibly cheap, um, to manufacture. Uh, it's easy to manufacture. Um, and it, it has, uh, you know, some pretty heavy effects for the amount that you have to acquire and mix into these substances. Can you walk me through the tests that are available from bunk police? Sure. Uh, well, I'll start with the, the fentanyl kits. Uh, we call them fent kits. 
and it's it's actually a uh, it's a strip that has some antibodies on it. And so what you do is you take a little bit of your sample and you um, dip this strip into the sample, and it will kind of wick up the strip. And depending on how you know many lines show up, uh, it will it will tell you if there's fentanyl or not. And it's you know it's very very sensitive down to the nanogram even. And and beyond that, we have eight different substance test kits that can uh, can pick up you know pretty much everything, um, you know, except for you know, substances like GHB and PCP, we're able to hit, you know, hundreds of different substances. Um, and, you know, we usually recommend that people use a series of these so they can check for different adulterants and that sort of thing. And uh, kind of in addition to these uh, reagent kits, as we, what we call them, um, is something called our separation test kit. And that's uh, based on this, uh, this lab practice called thin layer chromatography. And uh, I know that sounds complex, but really what it allows you to do is take a mixed substance and separate out into different components and then test those components individually and identify them. How many of these substances that you're testing aren't pure and need to be separated before you even get started? Oh, well, I mean, that's, it's kind of hard to answer that question because it, it depends a lot on the demographic, you know, where we are, who we're dealing with, even, you know, what sort of music they're listening to and that sort of thing can, can really play into what sort of substances are showing up. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that well over 50% of drugs are cut with something. Um, and as far as, you know, separating them out, um, you know, we, we recommend that people do that every time. Just a quick aside on that. Which music scenes are most associated with certain drugs? Well, um, you know, the, the EDM scene is very heavily associated with MDMA. You know, you also have your, your psychedelic communities that are more associated with LSD and mescaline and mushrooms and that sort of thing, DMT. Um, and then you have events like, you know, say Coachella uh, out in California, which, you know, we see a lot of cocaine out there. Um, you know, it varies a lot. Which which kits are your best selling of the reagent kits you have? Which ones seem to be most useful to people out there? Oh, the Marquee kit is definitely our you know our best seller by a pretty large margin, and you know that's actually the, the original kit that I was using to pick up on the uh, the bath salts or uh, synthetic cathinone issue in MDMA, and that's still primarily what it's used for. It can also pick up you know, methamphetamine, other novel amphetamines, um, and it's a great uh, test for adulterants and cocaine. So. Cocaine itself won't react on these kits, which is actually really valuable because then you can see all the other cutting agents reacting, such as meth or cathinones and all these other ones that you know, not very many people have heard of. And how would uh, someone use the marquee kit just to have a, a run through? Sure. Yeah, you would just take a very small amount of your substance, just a few milligrams, and uh, you add a little bit of uh, the liquid reagent to it. So it's just take your powder and add the liquid. And it's going to change colors over the course of 60 seconds. And you just match that color change up to our charts. And, uh, you know, it'll tell you if it matches um, the, the expected reaction, the expected substance, or if it's different. And then you, we have, you know, pages upon pages of adulterants that you can go through and find out exactly what it is if it didn't match. And it's, I think it's great that you're selling these kits for 20 or 25 bucks and you're, and that's a hundred different tests that people can have for their, their substances. I mean, that's, it's impressive how you manage to keep the price so low. How'd you pull this off? 
Uh, well, you know, the, uh, the reagents themselves are not particularly expensive to manufacture. So, you know, we, we just we make as much as we can and then and put as, you know, as much as we think people would need in like the, you know, the most extreme circumstances in a bottle so that they always just have more than they need. The, the expensive part is, is the research that goes into it. Um, but, you know, we try and, uh, you know, subsidize that ourselves and uh, keep the prices as low as we can. And uh, how does how do you handle research on things like this and get these substances to test and then make sure that your protocols are appropriate? Right. Well, I mean, that process involves acquiring these substances, uh, which is something that we do um, you know, in, in Europe mostly. It's, it's not something that is, is even close to legal here in the U.S. And it's not particularly legal what we were doing over in Europe either. But, uh, you know, most of what we... Uh, what we do is we, we acquire them either through the dark web or through, you know, other, you know, chemists that can be found on forums online and dark web forums and that sort of thing. And we take these substances and then we, um, we GCMS and HPLC test them, which is a laboratory process. It gives you, you know, a percentage, uh, a very precise percentage down to, you know, maybe hundreds or um, thousands of, of a percent even. And, uh, you know, once we have what we consider to be a pure sample of like analytical grade, we will take the sample and then use the test kits, uh, all eight of them on the different sa the samples and film the reactions. And we actually have these reactions available um, on our YouTube page and uh, there are 1,500 of them now in total. You can also use our um, Bunk Leaks uh, Android app to go through and sort them. So, you know, if you're looking for MDMA uh, adulterants, it'll go through and it'll, it'll sort by that and tell you exactly what could be potentially an MDMA and show you all the videos and, and put all that in front of you uh, in a really easy to access way. That's great. That's very, that's really nerd chemistry at the at its highest level. Oh, uh, we try and get as nerdy as possible with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what was it like to be acquiring all of these different compounds? Um, you know, f for the most part, it was easier than you, you might imagine just, you know, making the purchases and having them delivered and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, we, we did have to, in many cases, order, uh, you know, a dozen or more different samples of the same substance um, because they weren't anywhere close to pure. Um, they would have adulterants in them or precursors or, you know, any number of things. So in, in some circumstances, we would have to uh, you know, use uh, the the lab that we have out in Barcelona to um, purify them, and then in, in even more extreme, extreme circumstances where we absolutely couldn't find a sample of some of these really weird ones like PMA, paramethoxyamphetamine, or paramethoxymethamphetamine, we actually did end up uh, hiring clandestine chemists in Eastern Europe to synthesize them for us. So it it was a pretty intensive uh, four year plus. Uh, experience um, that required us ordering, uh, you know, several thousand different samples, uh, more or less several thousand drug deals is what it came down to. All in the name of science and harm yes, reduction. Sir. Absolutely. Um, speaking of your lab in Barcelona, it, according to your website, soon people will be allowed to use that as well to test their samples at a at a super high level professional lab. Right. Yeah. This lab is, uh, you know, one that we. Uh, that we work with the Spanish government um, in. So it, it's a it's a government organization called Energy Control out there that is actually funded by the Spanish government. And they use this laboratory for you know, all kinds of different testing beyond harm reduction, 
Uh, they'd use it for testing for steroids and, and you know, in like um, supplements and that sort of thing as well. Um, so yeah, you know, we're we're hoping to uh, if we can uh, find the testicular fortitude to do it to open it up to you know actual send in samples from the U.S. Uh, but it's a, a very legally difficult uh, issue, um, and we've we've been working on it for a couple years now. And I think we're about ready to pull the trigger. That's great. That's such a great service for the community. And so, what's it been like um, trying to stay on the legal side, and how do you find the atmosphere in Europe versus the United States for doing your work? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, staying on, on completely legal with this uh, is, is pretty much impossible. Uh, you know, we've done our best, and we, we really don't, we don't play with the laws too much here in the U.S. because the, you know, the consequences are pretty, pretty dire here. Um, but over in Europe, there's, there's a much better understanding of, of you know, this process and the fact that harm reduction is necessary. So even if we were caught, which thankfully has not happened yet, uh, we feel that the courts over there would be very forgiving and, and probably even dismiss the case uh, after we explain what we do. But you know, like I said, it, it, none of this is possible in the U.S. If you were put in charge of the laws around the U.S. in regards to this, how would you want to see them set up for the maximum amount of harm reduction? Oh, well, I mean, first of all, we need to completely legalize test kits. Uh, they are uh, legal in 14 states right now. It was 13 last year, and then Maryland just snapped its fingers and legalized them. And the reason why they did this is because state-level governments and government uh, entities are ordering um, fentanyl kits, uh, in front, actually from us in, in quite a few different circumstances, and distributing them for free. So in these 36 states where it's not legal or it's legally ambiguous, um, they're actually breaking their own laws, uh, which I think is just absurd. Uh, so first thing we need to do is fix these antiquated laws that have been around since, you know, in some cases, the 70s and 80s. And the second thing that we need to do is completely repeal something called the RAVE Act, the Reducing Americans' Vulnerability to Ecstasy Act of 2002. And, you know, what this is, is it's a, it's a you know, very... Um, you know, ambiguously worded piece of legislation that makes events uh, think that they could be charged um, with, you know, different, um, with different crimes for allowing harm reduction organizations to operate on their grounds or during their events. And when it comes down to it, this is just not even close to the case. In fact, we just uh, received uh, a message from the Justice Department stating that, uh, directly stating that the RAVE Act you know, has no bearing on harm reduction at, um, at festivals or warehouse parties or anything like that. Uh, you know, it was meant for organized drug dealing at these events. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's worded in such a way that you could even, in some cases, consider giving away free water or allowing the sale of glow toys or having a down-tempo chill-out area as a violation. And, you know, it's just, it's very poorly written and it needs to be re revised or, or, you know, hopefully just completely obliterated because when it comes down to it, uh, it hasn't even been applied except for one time, uh, you know, about 10 years ago. And that was somebody that was allowing the sale of certain illegal substances on, on their grounds and disallowing the, the sale of others. Um, so that person had their, you know, had their grounds, uh, 
confiscated by the federal government. Um, I didn't realize that you had a decision like that from the Justice Department saying this really doesn't apply to you. Right. Well, you're actually probably the first time that we've publicized this. Uh, we're about ready to to start presenting this to you know all of these different uh, event promotion companies and more or less telling them, hey, um, there's no reason that that you should be disallowing uh, harm reduction. Um, you know these laws don't apply. And when it comes down to it, uh, the state governments are breaking the paraphernalia laws. So between those two things, there's, there's absolutely no reason that, um, that you should disallow our, our presence. That would be really powerful because it seems like so much of the chilling effect of the Rave Act isn't that they're enforcing it. It's that the lawyers and the insurance companies for these events are scared it's going to be enforced. And they're the ones who are really putting the screws on these organizers who some of them want to be doing the best they can in harm reduction, I think. I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah. You know, there is also the perception of these events, um, you know, even though, it, you know, some of these events are just speakers and bright lights in a field um, where, I mean, obviously people are taking substances in one way or the other. They, they like to pretend like drug use is not a problem there, but they, they just really need to, you know, to state the reality of their situation because these events are not going away. Um, and, and start to deal with it on, you know, on a real basis. And so what's the feeling like between a festival in Europe where you might have on-site drug testing, um, like the Boom Festival, I believe, um, has mm-hmm. that, versus the places you go to in the United States where dealers know they can be getting away with anything unless someone has a kit like yours? <laughs> I mean, it's a completely different world. Um, you know, the, these... Uh, these festivals, and, and there, there, are, there are some, you know, here in North America, there are several up in Canada that allow, um, allow like, open-air harm reduction with a more or less a laboratory that they bring out. Uh, the, the main one is Shambhala up in BC. And, you know, they'll have just uh, scrolling results on a giant projector that shows you the picture, a picture of the substance and the result right next to it. Um, and, and that allows them to just, you know, sweep through and clean up the whole market. And, and you're right, like the dealers there know that they cannot get away with that sort of thing. And that if they do sell something that's adulterated, then people will be coming, I mean, quite frankly, to look for them afterwards. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a completely different um, you know, circumstance. And one thing your organization does that seems very cool is your Bunkbot um, and the Bunkbot's events. So people can be at a certain festival and text your bot and then get alerts about bad drugs going around at that event? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. You just, you know, text uh, bunk, the, the word bunk to 555-888, sign up for the event, and you'll, um, you'll have notifications come in, uh, not only about, uh, you know, substance issues, but also uh, where to find a test kit on the on the events uh, grounds? As you know, sometimes you know we have to sneak around and distribute them tent to tent and that sort of thing. It's a lot better if we can have people meet up with us. Um, and and then yes, you can just text a picture of the substance and a description of your test to uh, Bunkbot. And um, you know, first of all, we'll put it on our subreddit and Instagram immediately. And then if it's something that is dangerous enough, uh, because we don't really want to you know create a whole lot of fear because if, if we were reporting every substance that came in that was adulterated, it'd be a nonstop, 
um, you know, stream of text messages coming in. Uh, but if, if it is dangerous enough, for instance, fentanyl, uh, then we will alert everybody on the grounds. And that actually came in really handy at several events this year where we found fentanyl and cocaine specifically. What have been some of the, the notable trends you've seen through the drugs at these festivals the last few years? Uh, sure. Well, you know, the second down from fentanyl, the most concerning uh, for me would be the um, NBOME chemicals that are being used to adulterate or replace uh, LSD or acid. And uh, these substances are you know, different in a lot of ways. It's a completely different class of chemicals. And they are potentially fatal. You know, we saw an overdose uh, a few years ago in New Orleans where, you know, somebody, um, somebody took some and died. And, and what happens is uh, people will improperly mix it and they'll miss a decimal point when they're either they're weighing it out or they're titrating it or whatever to put it on blotter. And, uh, you know, people end up with 10 doses instead of one. And then you also have your, um, you know, your hardcore users that will take 10 doses themselves and, you know, end up having a really bad problem. And, you know, it's not just uh, the deaths that we should be tracking here. It's the, um, it's the, you know, the psychological issues that people have afterwards. You know, sometimes it's long lasting. It can be a lifetime of, uh, you know, of psychological issues, uh, schizophrenia, uh, for instance, uh, because of these substances taken in large amounts. You know, other than NBOMEs, you know, we've definitely had a really big problem with, uh, with the synthetic cathinones, uh, the bath salts, uh, and also fluorinated amphetamines are a problem. There's also, there's a laundry list of, uh, you know, different ketamine analogs that people are, um, are cutting ketamine with, uh, you know, the, the list goes on. And on the psychedelic specifically, um, how much do you see of people having psychotic breaks where they might never come back or it's going to be a long time until they kind of get their life back? Well, you know, my, my perspective is kind of skewed because, you know, these people will come to us for help uh, because, you know, a lot of times they don't necessarily trust the medical services or the police that are there. So I see a lot of it, um, but how often it's happening, uh, you know, per thousand people that, that go, that take a psychedelic or something like that. I don't think anybody is, is keeping track of that information right now, unfortunately. How have the police interactions been for you these last years when, when the ones patrolling the grounds realize what you're up to? Overwhelmingly positive. They, they never have an issue with what we're doing, um, you know, because they, they see the other side of it. They would prefer that, you know, if somebody is going to take a substance, that they would uh, test it beforehand and, and not end up, um, you know, running naked through the streets, which actually did happen at Lost Lands this year. Uh, you know, are doing something else uh, out of their character uh, where the police have to deal with it. They would prefer that people, you know, be as safe as possible. So we've, we've never had a problem with the police in, in any interaction. And I've been pulled over with these things over the course of the last eight years, uh, you know, probably a couple dozen times. Um, just, you know, the police are out in force on the way into and out on the way out of these events. So they'll just pull you over for anything. Um, but then when they find out what we're doing, uh, and what these kids are for, you know, they usually search us pretty thoroughly for actual drugs, but beyond that, they, ha they haven't had an issue. It's the event promoters that are the problem. That's great. That's really, uh, hopeful to hear that. 
And one last question before I let you get back to your work. Um, what's, what's most exciting for your organization coming up uh, as you look into the future? Right. Well, um, you know, we're really excited about the BunkBots system, and we're actually in the middle of creating an, an API and an Android app for that, and we're going to be expanding it beyond just uh, festivals. So you'll be able to go into, uh, you know, either the website, uh, which you can access through your iPhone or through our Android app, and you'll be able to go to a map and see exactly where these uh, adulterant submissions are coming from on the map. So let's say you're in, I don't know, the south side of Houston. Put in your zip code, it'll zoom in, and it'll show you exactly what's come in and where it's come in within that zip code. So we're really excited about that. You know, we're also excited about a few new emerging technologies that are coming through right now. Um, you know, one is, is uh, it's called microfluidics. And what that is, is it's, it's more or less our, our reagents, but powderized in a way, and then placed on a card. Um, and, and in doing this, what you can do is you can put several of them, up to 12, on one card. So you, what you do is you take a little bit of your substance, you put it in some water, and then you set uh, this card in, and it wicks up the, the card, and they all react at the same time. Um, you know, there, there's even the possibility that we could have, a, and this is already being developed, uh, a, uh, an app that will read it for you. It'll take a picture and then upload it to the database and figure out what the card is telling you. Uh, beyond that, we also have, you know, more of the antibody technology that we're currently using in our fentanyl strips emerging. So, we're, you know, we're trying to develop right now, um, you know, strips that will be able to, to, to detect and maybe even quantify, tell how much of a substance is, is in, um, you know, your, your, an adulterant is in your substance, uh, down to the picogram, which is, you know, like a billionth of a gram. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's all kinds of cool stuff happening right now. We're, we're really excited for the future. Great. Um, thank you so much for your work. We're going to put links to your site and the YouTube videos and the, the app on uh, the episode notes so everybody can find them. And just wanted to say thank you so much for your work and for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Greener Grass is a Bluebird Botanicals podcast. Their CBD oil supports a healthy body and a strong endocannabinoid system. They've got friendly customer service who can answer any of your questions, and the number is right there at the top of their webpage. But, per the FDA, they won't be able to make any medical claims for these nutritional supplements. That's also the reason you'll hear little about CBD on this show. There's no need for us to add more evidence about CBD when a simple Google search will give you more than you can read in a month of Sundays. So this show covers the cannabis world and more with editorial freedom from Bluebird Botanicals. Thanks for joining the Greener Grass Podcast. As always, our audio alchemist is Matt Payne. The Gypsy Jazz theme music comes from Brett Van Donsel. Our beautiful bird sounds are courtesy of Lang Elliott. And I'm your host, Lex Pelger, wishing you a bright green day. <laughs>